yelps. I've never heard them yelp that loud before in my, my life, as long as I've had them. And he screeched and he's just dangling in the air. And I'm pulling the leash and the owner is trying to get the dog to let go of Teddy's tail. This is the plaintiff, Joey Arnold. He says he was walking his six-year-old Shih Tzu Teddy on a leash on the Skyco River Trail in Pennsylvania. And when he crossed paths with the defendant's leashed pit bull, the thing lunged at poor little Teddy and bit his tail. Teddy was bleeding. The defendant said to send her the vet bill. The defendant hasn't paid him the $1,322.92 she owes. It's been four months, and he wants his money. So he's suing. This is the defendant, Tamira Pugh. She says her dog did nip the plaintiff's dog's tail. But the only reason that happened was because the plaintiff wasn't practicing safe social distancing. That's right. He and his dog came within six feet of her and her dog. They broke the rules. That's what happens when you break the rules. She's accused of taking a bite. All parties, please raise your right hand. What you are about to witness is real. The participants are not actors. They are actual litigants with a case pending in civil court. Both parties have agreed to drop their claims and have their cases settled here before Judge Marilyn Millian in our forum, the People's Court. People's Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Marilyn Millian is now presiding. Litigants have been sworn, Your Honor. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome, ma'am. All right. Mr. Arnold, what happened? You're out taking your dog for a walk, and what yes, happens here? Um, I was taking him out about four to six in the evening, and that's usually when he gets his afternoon walk, and just just about a hundred yards from my apartment, so it's an easy place for Teddy to go for him to sniff around, use the bathroom, and go back to my apartment to kind of get some air. And I was taking him over there. I was what walking on the sidewalk. What kind of dog is this? Uh, Shih Tzu. Okay. And I was walking him on the same side where I noticed two people with a pit bull. And naturally, I'm a little bit wary with pit bulls because I don't really know how well trained the animal is. So I'm trying to move diagonally because there are people on the sidewalk. So naturally, there are people walking forwards and w like with me and against me. So I see an opening to kind of move diagonally away from the pit bull. So as I'm moving i'm walking towards like straight forward letting teddy sniff instead of like yanking him away and we're gradually moving away the pit bull lunges out as teddy is crossing the uh as teddy and i are crossing the sidewalk and nips teddy pulls teddy back and teddy's sitting there kind of like it's kind of like a tug of war with teddy in the middle and if you imagine like a rope there's a rope and his body would be the red flag and he's sitting there he yelps i've never heard him yelp that loud before in my my life as long as I've had him, and he screeched, and he's just dangling in the air, and I'm pulling the leash, and the owner is trying to get the dog to let go of Teddy's tail. And at that point, I finally got, you know, the, they finally got control of the dog, and then I'm able to look at Teddy, and the thing is, he's bleeding a little bit. I could see a little bit on his hair, and the thing with Shih Tzus is that they have a lot of hair on their tail, so I really couldn't see it that well, and I was scared it might get infected. And so he, she gave me her contact information, and so I decided, you know, I text her the next day, hey, I clean my dog. I see this spot where he was bitten. I got taken to the vet. She tried to talk me down in a way through, you can see in the text, initial text. And I said, you know, talk the vet you down is a professional. how? What do you mean? Just saying, you know, he's probably like to a bit tell you sore. it's not necessary? Yeah. It's yeah. not necessary. Okay. Yes, ma'am. 
And right. I saw through that, and I initially just said the vet needs to go ahead and determine what's going to happen. And she agreed in that first text you can see. In her first response, she does say, either way, just send me the bill. Then right. the next day I asked her, you know, for the documents for the dog, because my vet is asking for that information for me. I wouldn't ask for the information. The vet's not asking it for me. And I actually have another statement from my vet where she explained that she did contact Tamara. And then she did. She explained the situation. She contacted Tamara, who she contacted. And then it explains each one of the medical visits that Teddy had to go back, each one of those vet's visits. Um, okay. So they and, wanted and the, the dog's... They wanted to know if the dog was immunized and everything, if the dog had the rabies shots and all that? Yes, Okay, no, that and did she her. call your vet and tell your vet that? No, ma'am, she never got the information. That's what, that's what caused them to err on the side of caution for that first exam because they weren't really sure like, what the dog necessarily had. How many times did you take the dog to the vet? Three times. The first time was because the tail was infected because the dog had a, like, his mouth wasn't clean, bit Teddy, so naturally created an infection. So Teddy had to fight that. He had medication for that. Then I had to go ahead and take Teddy to the vet again because they requested it to go ahead and see how his tail was. And they, they thought it was kind of bad considering he, he still wouldn't curl his tail up. It was still tucked between his legs. And so they ran x-rays to go ahead and say, okay, he's fine. The third one, his tail was curling back okay, up. He was still stop sensitive talking one moment. Can I ask you a question, Ms. Pew? Was your dog current on his rabies shots or her rabies yes. shots? Well, yes. well, then why didn't you just give that information to the vet? Why would you... Because the vet I ended up reporting you to the state. I didn't talk to his vet at all. He was asking for the rabies This shot. vet said, says dog. that she contacted you on 427 and left you a message that you needed to show proof of vaccination since it's a deadly disease for dogs and people. And that if you don't, he's gonna, she's going to need to report you. And you didn't call back, so they reported you. So did you get a message and just not return the call? I never got the message. I don't, right. I, I never got the message at all. All right, you, let me ask you a question. Um, you tell me what happened from your perspective that day. Well, my perspective is I sent you pictures of where I was at. My girlfriend was fixing my waist trainer on the pole. Were you, were you is, stationary? Like you were standing there? I was standing there on the side, not even on the road. We're on the grass, on the dirt. As I sent the pictures. Right okay, there. this says That's pool, where I'm standing. but I think you meant pole I had my back against so Teresa could fix my waist trainer. Okay, so you were, is it accurate she was leaning on that pole? Or she was by the side and her friend was doing something, fixing? What's a trainer? A waist trainer, which goes around your stomach while you're exercising. Uh huh. What's it do? So it was slipping. What is it? Like a waist? A waist? <laughs> yes, it keeps your waist snatched, it keeps you, it keeps you nice and trim. Okay, um, so is it accurate that her friend was like messing with her trainer or whatever and that they were against the pole? She was against the pole, not her friend. The thing is, right. her, the dog okay. was, the important thing was that the dog was sitting right on the edge of the sidewalk. So it's like, it wasn't- right. Is the dog on a leash? Like, yes, ma'am. Yes, she was on a metal leash. Okay, was it a retractable leash or it was a solid, no. you know, act Right. No, it's a, okay. it's a solid leash. It's on a five foot, I sent you the pictures. I actually put my hand inside the pink part to hold the leash when I'm holding Roxy. So she couldn't even bend more than four feet away from me because that's how big the leash is. Right. It's a little, well, I guess with your hand on it, it would be right. Here's what I'm trying to understand is um, when did this happen, Mr. Arnold? April 25th. 
around five o'clock. Okay, so so we were well into COVID. She's yes. standing stationary against the pole with a pit bull, <laughs> mm -hmm. and you're in motion, and you're walking, mm -hmm. and you see the pit bull, and you don't like hustle over to the other side. You're letting her sniff, like. In other no, words, no. you walked your dog on a leash right up to where her dog was on a leash, too. Tell me what she did wrong. What did she do wrong? Because remember, we don't punish the dogs. The dogs are animals. They do whatever's instinctive for them. So what the law punishes is the behavior of the humans and the way they handle their dogs. Every dog owner has to be in control of their dog, which means on a leash. Every, every place has leash laws, or most places do. And either way, in control. Sometimes you could have your dog on a leash and still not be in control because you're walking your dog right by other people and your dog bites them. The thing is, she wasn't walking. She was stationary against the pole. You're doing the walking and you are walking clearly within 52 inches of her because that's how long her leash is. So you're not six feet away. So what's up with that? <laughs> Well, the funny thing is that she wasn't even the one holding the leash. Her friend was the one holding the leash. That's the first issue. I but was. to go on to the next point is that I was... also not moving. Her yes, friend her is friend, fiddling, her fiddling friend... with her... Uh-huh. Her friend's fiddling See, with her issue isn't. It, the issue is not that her friend... Like, she was fiddling with something else, but her friend was sitting there with the dog at the sidewalk. And the thing is, oh, I... Oh, she's sitting. Where Teddy was All right, when so wait a minute, nipped. wait a minute. She's not yes, moving, and the friend's not moving, because the friend's sitting, and she's standing, not moving. So mm -hmm. if that's the case, I got an idea. Why don't you not walk Teddy so close to a pit bull, especially since you're supposed to be six feet away no matter what? Why are you letting Teddy sniff and get close to a pit bull such that the pit bull can bite? Because when pit bulls bite, you know, you're lucky that this ended up being what it is. You know, what it ended up being was a wound that had to be cleaned, some follow-up mm -hmm. care, and that's 800 and something dollars right there. And then you're also suing for therapy for Teddy to the tune of $495 because Teddy is now um, intimidated or, you know, and, and according to you needs therapy. Wow, it just sounds to me like maybe this was a really good reason to keep your distance socially six feet away because the leash wouldn't have reached and the dog wouldn't have reached. Why are you so close to her when she's not moving? So the thing is, the dog was closer to the sidewalk because I keep explaining, like, the thing is, I'm in the middle of the sidewalk. I can't move with people moving backwards and forwards, like people ride bikes and everything. So that's why I said I was moving through that gap, the gap that I saw that I wouldn't cause Teddy. I got an idea. Stop moving. Stop moving. Stop moving. Stop moving. Stop moving. Stop moving. Don't keep walking. Don't keep walking right into the pit bull's lap. Don't do that. You see? Douglas, where do you think this is going? Seems to be going in an opposite direction than we normally see. Yeah. I mean, no offense. The pit bulls are great. Their owners usually, you know, are maybe not so hot. You know, it's always a pit bull that escapes. It's always a pit bull. It's not on a leash, you know. But what did she do? So it's nothing wrong with the dogs. Please don't send me emails. Um, but what did she do wrong? She didn't do anything wrong. She's not even moving. You're bringing Teddy, and mercifully, it wasn't worse than it was, right near a stationary object. You know, because there's bikes going. The other thing you could have done is just waited and been more vigilant and tried to be six feet away from people. That's what you could have done. So based on what I am listening to, I'm very sorry, but I am ruling in favor of the defendant in this case. Good luck, folks. Thank you.
Well, it didn't work out for the plaintiff in this case. Let's see what he thinks about it. Mr. Arnold, tell me, what's your reaction to the judge's decision? I don't think it was actually fair at all, honestly, because the thing is, they're trying to verify and say that I was not within six I was within six feet. With it being that crowded on the Schuylkill River, I was trying to move around everybody without really approaching too many people. So the issue is a trained pit bull or a trained animal does not lash out on another animal. My dog didn't incite anything. He didn't do anything. It's a shit zoo versus a pit bull. That dog lunged, got halfway on the sidewalk and actually bit my dog and pulled him back. Like, that's exactly what happened. I, I think it's absolutely unfair. And uh, yeah, I just... I'm not pleased. I'm sorry, but the judge found against you on this case. Ms. Pugh, let me ask you how you feel about it. I'm sure you're sorry, but uh, what do you think about I the am case? Sorry. His, I'm sorry his dog got bit, but uh, I'm very happy because he was definitely in my space. He's not supposed to be six feet within me during COVID or the Pennsylvania law leash. All right. Well, listen, congratulations and thank you very much. So that'll bring this case to a close. Now, let's join Judge Millian and her husband, John, who is also a judge, for another session of After the Verdict. This case seemed to hinge on uh, the issue of social distancing to a great extent to you. Yeah, right? definitely. And yet, But it's also common sense, isn't it? I suppose so. You know, it's, I mean, if uh, she had been moving, maybe it would have been different because then uh, they're both moving and they're both up. But she is stationary and her friend right. is sitting. I mean, right. And uh, hopefully, you know, people are just more careful, sure. you know, especially now during COVID where these places where everybody's piling on top of each other. Maybe that's not such a great idea, uh, COVID or otherwise. But not during a pandemic. No, anyway. and not near a pit bull. Um, well, here's hoping Teddy uh, gets over this and does okay going forward. JJ from Washington State wants to know, how can the People's Court do cases from different states in the country? Don't states have different laws? That's a great question. And what we have done for many, many years in the People's Court, my gosh, I can even say decades, is we will use the law that applies in the particular case. So if we have a case that we're litigating in Connecticut, but the litigants are from New York, we're gonna use the New York law to decide who's right and who's wrong. So it's all based on the laws of the individual states. And you can see if you watch the show over time that sometimes those laws vary. And that will do it for this case. Litigants are in the courtroom for the next case. This is the plaintiff, Jeffrey Fix. He says he hired the defendant and paid him $80,000 to build a dream swimming pool in his backyard. And the guy did mostly a good job. The one thing he did not install correctly was the pool heater. The defendant has given him nothing but a runaround about fixing it. And he's suing him for the $3,744 he's owed in repairs. This is the defendant, John Richard. He says he installed a beautiful pool, and the plaintiff was as happy as a clam when he completed it in 2018. A couple of years later, the plaintiff's heater went kaput because he didn't maintain a proper chemistry of the water because it was too acidic, which causes corrosion. He's a second-generation pool builder. He knows what he's doing and owes nothing because he didn't do anything wrong. He's accused of pooping out of the pool. 
All parties, please raise your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket. The plaintiff says he paid the defendant 80 grand to build him a pool, but says the guy did something wrong, and now the pool won't heat. But the defendant says the plaintiff didn't keep the proper water chemistry, and that's why the heater went kaput. It's the case of Shiver Me Timbers. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome. Okay, Mr. Fix, you hired Mr. Richard's company, Rockstar Pools, to create a pool, um, and this was, you're in Lee County, what city are you in? Fort Myers. Okay. Um, and the total for the pool was $80,000. You were very happy with the pool, but then you started having problems with a Pentair heater, correct? I did, and I originally noticed that it wasn't installed correctly. I've owned pools for over 20 years um, at various homes that I've lived across the country. And I had noticed. When did you John originally notice that it wasn't installed correctly? When I first noticed was December of 2017. So why didn't you do something then? So I notified John at that time, and I said, John, the pool isn't installed, or the heater isn't installed correctly because the water was always running through the pool heater all the time, whether I'm heating or not. Right, but if you're not heating, it's not heating the water. So what's, uh, first of all, you tell me, Mr. Richard, why is it, what was it that was done? All right, my recollection of events is uh, we installed the pool Everything was working fine. A um, couple times um, after we installed the pool, before the issue came up with the heater, um, I would bring customers by. Very thankful of Mr. Fix uh, allowing me to show customers the beautiful pool to sell new customers. At that point in time, I did notice a blue staining on the pool finish, which is an indicator of water chemistry that is not kept correctly. What happens is if the water chemistry goes too acidic, it'll, pull, uh, it'll react with the metal in the core of the heater and deposit uh, blue film on the pool plaster itself. And according to you, you say that any copper deposits were his fault. Why, Mr. Fix? So I'm saying that it wasn't properly installed. He didn't notice any staining until I told him that there was the problem, and on March 26th of 2019. Remember, none of the, we didn't have full pool heater failure until a year later. But on March 26th, I actually we had the salt cell replaced, and at that time, the pool warranty company told me it was not installed correctly and that it could okay. void all warranty on. When the was the first time anybody told you that it was not installed correctly? Because just because you're a Floridian and you've had a pool all your life, that doesn't make you an expert. So the first time an expert tells you it was not installed correctly, according to you, is when Pentair came out. But we're skipping a bunch of stuff because Pentair came out why? So, so Pentair came to the home because there was a problem with the salt cell. It was defective. So they had to replace the okay, salt cell. So you t okay, so hold on. So they come to your home, and on what day do they, what, March of 2018, they tell you, by the way, the pool, was in, the pool heater was installed improperly, and it may void the warranty? Yes. Okay, do you have March that in writing? March 26th of 2018. Do you have that in writing? So I don't have anything from the warranty company stating that, but I did notify John. No, I only that. have you. I know your text messages, you say it, but I can't, yeah. you know, if I look in the mirror and I say, I am the queen of England, that isn't two people saying it, you see? So I, you know, that doesn't make me the queen of England. I need to see 
where some professional, whether it's Pantera or anybody else who's been installing pools, actually says that that pool heater was installed incorrectly. Because I have read every text, every email between you and Pentair. You end up about to be in litigation with Pentair. They send a team over. Someone from Pentair goes back and forth. You end up settling with them. That's your lawsuit today, is you want him to repay what your settlement with Pentair was. They ended up giving you a new heater for $1,200. And they ended up, and you ended up having to pay 900 and something to install that new heater. And you ended up having to pay 800 and something to acid wash the copper, uh, the copper deposits or whatever. And your position, Mr. Richard, is that's on you, homeowner, because you weren't maintaining things properly. Right, Mr. Richard? That is correct, ma'am. And that you installed the pool heater appropriately. Your position, Mr. Fix, is, oh, no, you got to pay all this because installation was inappropriate. As far as I can see, the only person telling me that it was inappropriate is you telling me that someone else told you. Well, let me just explain that that's hearsay. So, but it's, it's so, it's got such an easy fix, Mr. Fix, which is that you just get someone else to come and take a look at it and say, well, this was installed completely improperly. But I can't order him to pay you thousands and thousands of dollars based on you telling me that someone told you in March that it was installed improperly. You got to show me evidence. What proof do you have that it was installed improperly? Because when I read Pentair's emails, you know what they say, right? Well, no, they, they actually say that they don't that, that, that a faulty it was, installment. Oh, they do. They do say that. We don't warrant a faulty. So you know what they don't say? This was a faulty installation. What they do is respond to you telling them it's a faulty installation, you see? They say to you, listen, when our team went, you weren't maintaining it properly. And then they say to you, and then you say to them, no, 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 that's not my fault that it, it, you know, it was off. It's because it was improperly installed. They say, well, that doesn't matter because we don't, we don't warranty improper installation anyway. That's what they say. So let's talk about the fence damage because apparently a fence got scratched, Mr. Richard. And at some point you agree to pay for the scratch because I guess it happened during the time you guys were there. So why didn't you? Um, I don't believe I agreed to pay for the fence. I agreed to fix the fence. Did you? Um, and I didn't. Did you fix no, the fence? Not as of yet. Oh, okay. Well, now no, what's going to happen? If you don't, you could have gotten that fixed so cheaply, and now he wants set. Why? You, how do you come up with seven hundred and fifty for the damage? So the when repair? I originally did the, I'm sorry. When I originally did the court documents, I was estimating seven fifty. When it actually came through the HOA, it came. It comes out to eight hundred and fifty per panel. I didn't resubmit the the, the court documents. Okay, let me just ask you a question, though. Is the, when you say, you said HOA, that's the Homeowners Association? Yes. Are they the ones who, what would they do? They'd, no, what I see is a receipt from all the panels when they got put up, and then you were dividing what each cost. How, how, do, how is that evidence of what a repair would be? I don't have that. What I have is what it would cost to replace the panel, which is what I'm being asked to replace right, by but the there's, HOA. Right, but... Okay, okay, hold on. Show me proof that the HOA is making you replace the panel. Then I'll order him to pay the 800 and something. But you have to show me proof that the panel needs replacing and that you can't repair it, which would be infinitely less than putting in a whole new panel. So show me where the HOA is making you replace the panel. I can't show you that. Then we are done.
and what I am going to order him to pay is, what part is this, Douglas? Oh, I know what this is. This is rough justice. Where I do some made-up rough justice of what I think the scratch should cost. So I am going to order the defendant who has always acted like he was going to fix it and didn't. I'm going to order you to pay the plaintiff $250 to repair that. And Mr. Fix, I, I do not find that you have proven to me by a preponderance of the evidence that all the other amounts that you had to pay were his fault for improper installation. There would have been a very easy way to do that. You just have to have brought me evidence from an expert, not just someone who's a Floridian and has po had pools all their life, but an expert to have said, in fact, what you say. You can't just come into court and expect $4,000 to be ordered to be paid to you based on you telling me somebody told you, okay? So that's my verdict, $250 verdict for the plaintiff. Let's talk to Mr. Richard first, the defendant in the case. Mr. Richard, you've got to pay $250 to fix that, uh, that fence. What are you thinking? I think uh, it's fair justice. Okay. Mr. Fix, let me ask you a little bit about what you think of the judge's decision. You were suing for really $3,700. You're only getting $250. I know you're not very happy. Well, obviously disappointed, um, but, you know, the judge is right. I didn't have the, the proper evidence that uh, she required, and, you know, you have to accept that, but that's disappointing. Well, that's, that's the judge's decision, and you've got to live with it. So thank you very much. All right, now it's time for another session of After the Verdict with Judge Millian and her husband, Judge John. Let's join them. Marilyn, in this case, the plaintiff, Mr. Fix, uh, was a very gracious loser. Yeah. Effectively yeah. in the case, he seems like a real gentleman. Uh, but there are some kinds of claims when you go to court, and they might be a, a car, an automobile, it might be a swimming pool, it might be an appliance or something. You're never going to get it across the finish line unless you've got expert testimony. Absolutely. I mean, and it's not that hard to do. People do it in front of us every day. You, if you can't just say, hey, someone told me he did it wrong. You could, and he has to have known that. He, you know, he knows that this, this was basically a shot in the dark and he felt like the guy should have negotiated with him. And the cost of your expert is compensable in the lawsuits. So, sure, if you, you win, know, yes. You shell if it out, turns out $500 for the guy to take half a day off or whatever it is, or the whole day off to go and testify about your transmission repair. You can get that back if you prevail. Yeah, and, and, and in small claims, a lot of small claims courts will actually allow you to bring it in in writing and you don't even have to, you know, have by the person in person by affidavit. By, so, you know, it's, it's very, and especially now where people can testify through video because that's what we're reduced to during COVID. And, um, you know, he just needed to have the evidence. I don't even think he has the names of the people who he claims told him that. He's been convinced of this forever, but he, has, he can't convince anybody else. And um, it's just, it, that was a loser from the beginning, I think. Ricky from Long Island wants to know, uh, the judge uses text messages as evidence in the courtroom. Are text messages considered a contract between the parties? Well, they can be a contract. Um, you can make a contract on toilet paper, on a napkin, and on text messaging if you have all of the necessary elements of a contract. But a lot of times the judge looks at these text messages, not necessarily, not necessarily to establish a contract, but to show who breached the contract in the conversations that go back and forth. And that will do it for this case. Litigants are inside the courtroom for the next case. 
This is the plaintiff, Catherine Teresa Hamilton. She says she brought her car to the defendant's garage to get her transmission fixed. And it took around three weeks longer than promised to be repaired. The defendant said he'd pay for her rental car, but he hasn't. And she's suing him for the $4,302.83 she owes. This is the defendant, Nelson Valdez. He says he never agreed to pay for the plaintiff's rental car. But he does admit there was a problem with the first transmission he installed. You can't tell if a transmission's good before putting it in. He replaced the bad one with a good one, didn't charge her labor, and has done everything he can for this ungrateful woman. He's accused of blowing a transmission. All parties, please raise your right hands. Welcome back to the People's Court. Next case on the docket, the plaintiff claims that she brought her car to the defendant for a transmission problem. The guy kept the car for three weeks, and she says she was entitled to a rent-a-car and didn't get one. But the defendant says no way. He never promised this woman anything like that. It's the case of blowing a transmission. Thank you, Douglas. You're welcome. Okay. Ms. Hamilton, you took your car to get a new transmission to the defendant's shop. And what did they do? Well, basically, they um, uh, I paid $3,500. And uh, at the first time... For a rebuilt I transmission. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Valdez, what did you do to the car in August? A rebuilt transmission? Just beyond, with all due respect, I didn't do anything to the car. I'm just representing the company because I work for them now. But I have all the story and a sworn, sworn statement on your desk there. Uh, they fixed the transmission the first time, put a, a rebuilt transmission in the car. And they came back a okay. few, 10 days later, and we fixed it again and didn't charge anything for the second time. And then we well, here's the thing. So, uh, for, uh, so you have the car then from August 17th to August 27th, and Ms. Hamilton uh, pays you the 3500 She assumes that she's got a working car. But what happens by the end of September? Well, after several times having the check on engine light coming on, we took it back and said, we have a major problem here. It's not working correctly. And they had that car from 925 until um, 11 8. And, uh, Why so long, Mr. Valdez? That's a really long time. Why did you have the car so long? That's it is, it is a long time. You're absolutely correct. However, the first transmission came in. It wasn't, it wasn't done properly. The job was not completed bad. There's a wiring harness on the side of the transmission that if you run with a bad transmission, it blows the wiring harness as well. So that took extra time because we didn't know nothing about the wiring harness until we had to get back inside the transmission a second time. Okay, so you buy your transmission from a third party. The party you picked gave you a bad transmission. It's That's installed correct. and no one knows it until later. I hear what you're saying, and I, I know that can happen because I get lawsuits like this all the time. So why did it take so long anyway? Why isn't it a week to fix that problem? Why is it, wow, six weeks? Yeah, Your Honor, you can't fix a transmission in a week ever. I've been doing this for 30 years, and that I've never... You fixed it in 10 days the first time. You're right, 10 days. Why did it take, instead of 10 days, why did it take six weeks? Uh, that I can't answer. I wasn't the mechanic, man. I'm just representing the company. Yeah, I'm well, not. that's a really bad circumstance because you left her without a car that time. Now, Ms. Hamilton, when you turn the car in, you end up renting a car. You speak to someone yeah. at their facility 
Who was the person you spoke Correct. to who said they would off? Who was it that told you we'll pay for your rental car? We feel so bad this happened. Their office blah, manager, blah, blah. Gina. Gina called. Their office manager, Gina. Yes, and there is a letter uh, stating to that effect in my uh, paperwork. Right. So Ms. Caldwell writes a letter saying, "I was told by Ken that he would pay the rental since the vehicle was here for." so long and not repaired on time. That's your former employee. I realize they sent you in here to hold the bag. I got that. You you just, you haven't, you weren't around when I, but you are the only guy I can ask. So if, why is Ms. Caldwell saying that? Why is your employee who's an agent of the company and authorized to speak on your behalf saying that not only did he say that, but I, that's exactly what I told Ms. Hamilton. I don't know why she said that to her because Ken never authorized it. That's all I can tell you. Well, she says Ken said that, and this lady ends up, how much did you spend on a rental car? Because six weeks is so long. You don't have an answer for me on why it took you guys six weeks? I, that I can't answer, but $4,000 for a rental car? No, the actual rental car was $2,259.09, and I see the receipts are from Enterprises, 30 bucks a day. That's why you can't keep the lady's car six weeks, you know? Because that's a problem. And, and, and it was a particular problem. In this case, Ms. Hamilton, I'm very sorry to hear about your loss. When was it that your husband passed away? In the middle of all this? October 6th. Okay. Yes, you know, in the middle of all this stuff. She's dealing with this. She ends, up, she ends up getting, because she was told that your company would pay for it, she, she calls Enterprise and they're like, we're going to report the car stolen because you haven't returned it. And it was, a, it was such a mess over something that was really simple. It's inexcusable to keep the car six weeks to change a transmission. It's just, you know, it shouldn't have happened. Someone dropped the ball. And so who should be responsible to eat those damages? You think it's going to be Ms. Hamilton, who ends up getting a call saying she's going to be arrested for car theft when her husband had just passed away? You think it's, it's not going to be Ms. Hamilton? I can tell you that. Ms. Hamilton, just, what's the rest of your lawsuit about? What is the other $2,043.74? Well, basically, when my husband and I were, we just moved to to Florida, to, to Brooksville. Where were you from? Are you from yeah. Buffalo? I'm from Michigan. You're from Michigan? It sounds like my Buffalo yeah. relatives. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, um, we... <laughs> We decided that, you know, it would be, now that we were going to have the transmission fixed, we should be able to, to use that car for several years. And that right. wasn't now the I case. Okay, but the, I understand you're, you don't want to eat the loss of the rental car. So that I get. But the additional loss of use of the car and inconvenience, it, court is about making you whole, not about... Um, you know, ching ching, let the cash register ring. It's it's about making sure that you, who are the person who doesn't have any fault here, are able to get from the folks who do have fault, because a they, you know, I understand that it wasn't intentional, but it's their transmission that they put in that was faulty, and it's their, you know, she ate the rental car in the beginning, of course, because she has to in the first time around. It only takes 10 days, I know, because you did it in 10 days before. It could, it could be shorter than that. But anyway, you did it in 10 days before. And then instead of having it 10 days, they end up having it for six solid weeks. 
you shouldn't have to pay for that. You should be able to have a rental car. You should be able to have wheels. You should be able to go shopping and do whatever it is you need to do, and especially during such a traumatic time. So if I order them to pay the rental car fees, then you are whole, right? You don't also get the loss of, you know, the inconvenience and loss of the car because I'm making them pay for it. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to order them to pay you every penny of the Enterprise Rent-A-Car. That's $2,259.09, plus your court costs, of course, um, in having to bring this lawsuit. And that's my verdict. Good luck, folks. So the plaintiff gets the cost of the rental car back, but that's it. Mr. Valdez, the defendant, let me ask you how you feel about the... I know you... <laughs> Surprise! the car had so many problems, aren't you? I'm sure of that. Well, I, I didn't have nothing to do with the transaction. I know that Judge Beyond's always been a fair person. We follow her here in Tampa. So whatever she says, I go by. <laughs> very good for you. Okay. Thank you very much. Ms. Hamilton, let me ask you. you you're going to get the rental car back, but uh, the fee for that. But, but that's it. Okay? How do you feel about that? Well, hey, um, I just could not rely on that car anymore. I mean, it, it just... With with the loss of my husband and I'm in a new place with with nobody to fall back on, so I I couldn't. I just I had to get rid of it. Well, I think everybody understands that, and we're sorry for the loss of your husband. Uh, I'm sorry you couldn't get any more, but you're getting the rental car money, a little over twenty two hundred dollars. Thank you very much. Good luck with your new car. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, let's see what the judges have to say. Here's another session of After the Verdict with Judge Millian and Judge John. Well, in this case, it sounds like Mr. Valdez drew the short straw over at the shop and had to come in, <laughs> had to come in and represent on it and, and then gamely explained their position. But certainly, as a judge, when you have somebody coming in in a situation like this who says an employee of the shop who gave you a plausible explanation that, hey, we're going to cover your rental car. And then they back it up with an affidavit from that person saying, Honestly, I was told they were right. going to cover it. Even if she didn't have that affidavit, think about right. it, right? Yeah. Six weeks? That's a long time. That's a long time. For, imagine if she can afford to be without a car for six weeks. Oh, it was a catastrophe. It, and yeah. at the worst time so of her life. So if it's 10 God days, it. it's 10 days. If they, they right. had just fixed it in 10 days, right. she would have had a car when, by the time her husband had passed away and she would have... You know, instead of having a, a received phone call saying they're going to report it stolen. And right. And, and you're going to hold an employer accountable for something that's plausible like that in the course and scope of the work of the employee. It's not like Regina Caldwell told her, we're going to give you free ice cream for the rest of your life. She said, no, we'll give you a car well, to cover again, the time that you're out of the car. And she, and she speaks, speaks for them. For them. She's Absolutely. their agent. So she they're their stuck agent? with whatever she says, exactly. you know, to, to the customers. And rental car fees can accumulate. Well, it was, you know, it was $30 a day. They accumulate and you spend six weeks fixing right. the car. Know, that's you know, a long, long that time was really be, uh, long time to be with no transportation. Right. Certainly. Yeah. I just rented my first apartment. Uh, what should I take pictures of when I move in? And should I send them to my landlord? Won't that be starting out on the wrong foot with him? That is a fantastic question. Um, no, you will not be starting out on the wrong foot. You need to go through that apartment and take pictures of any damage. That's what you're looking for, damage. Because what you want to show is that when you move out, that was pre-existing damage and the landlord can't dock you for it. If you show it to the landlord and say, look, I've just taken the pictures to show you what's already damaged, he should not get upset. That establishes the ground rules for the tenancy.